the last few weeks, uh, you've seen that video, but I, I kind of like the way that that video goes. I know it's a little bit longer than something I'd typically play right after the scripture, but I think it's, imp- I, I, I like it. That's the best I can tell you. This morning, if you're a social media person, um, Facebook, on my Facebook page, popped up and said, we have a memory for you to share. When I looked at it, it is a photograph from when my youngest daughter, Rachel, who is now about 28, I think, um, it's when she was about four years old. And we were at a Memorial Day parade in Dover, Ohio, and the fire truck was going down in front of us. And there are four kids, if you don't know, I have four kids. There are four kids uh, sitting, looking at the fire truck, and the Times Reporter newspaper down there in New Philly to snap the picture. And so my kids made it to the newspaper. And so I like that memory. It's always been, I've got, still got the, the, you know, the newspaper or whatever at home somewhere. So I just reposted that. I put it out there. And a lot of my friends from back then, several of my friends from back then have commented on it. And, and two in particular people said, when I think of the Adkins family, that's what I think of. That's basically what they said on there. Two friends of mine uh, from back in the days when we lived in Bolivar. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because I should have put the picture on the screen for you, but I didn't. Um, and the reason I'm telling you that is because the four kids that are up there on that picture, only three of them are mine. And the people who commented knew my family pretty well back then, and they said, when I think of the Adkins family, that's what I think of. And the one little boy that's in the picture, see, Nate's missing. Rachel and Ariel and Jake, my other three are there. The little boy that's there was Jake's best friend, Jason, and he's still a great friend of the family. If you need an attorney, he's downtown Canton. But anyway, (laughs) um, Jason's there, and, and he's not mine, but as we were raising our kids, Jason and his brother Jared may as well have been, okay? Everywhere we went, they were. I have no idea where Jared and and Nate were in that picture. But the other part of it that stands out to me is I never noticed this. If I did before, I've forgotten it. I'm sure I did when it first came out. I was looking at it today, and there's those four kids with flags in their hands waving at the fire truck. And if you look just behind them, there I am. But you can't see me. You don't, unless you're looking for me, you don't realize that I'm there. Now, why am I telling you that this morning with regards to the scripture that we read? It is because in the body of Christ, some of us will be clearly seen, right? The people that are out front, the people that are doing, the people that we think, you know. But there's always going to be somebody in the background that you don't even possibly know that's praying, that's doing something that you don't know about. Every week I stand up here, but I couldn't get my job done if those guys weren't back there doing their job. And somewhere, maybe not at this very moment or maybe at this very moment, there are people praying for me that you've never met. Secondly, we look and we think that's the body, right? We think, well, there's Joel's family. That's what they look like. Well, there's the church, and that's what it looks like. But sometimes we miss the fact that it takes more than just one or two people to get it done. And sometimes, even though we look alike, there's a lot of difference between us. 
Now, I want to walk you very quickly through what I read to you this morning, a verse at a time. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm going to get to my bottom line as quickly as I can. Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. What Paul has just said to you is, I'm going to tell you a little bit about spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Paul is here saying that even if you aren't worshiping Jesus, listen, you were led away, led astray to mute idols, you're worshiping something. Even before you came to know Christ, you were worshiping something. And many of us here today might say, well, no, I wasn't. I wasn't going to church anywhere. Oh, yes, you were. We are all worshiping something. And the key is, particularly in the body of Christ, to get what we're worshiping, who we're worshiping, correct. So now Paul says, so I want you to understand, and you can take that to mean that he's about to correct the thinking of anybody that might not have it right. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God can say Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now I could dwell on this for about three minutes and tell you all the details of what that means but what I want you to look at is right there at the very end it is that in the body of Christ nothing is said except it is said by the Holy Spirit anything that is said without the Holy Spirit is going to be incorrect and obviously if you're looking at this verse Paul was dealing with something that was happening in that church that was outside of the realm of what would be considered normal particularly outside of the realm of what the Holy Spirit might want to place not only blessing but, but, but empowerment to. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is accursed. In the body of Christ, you'll know if it's true if the Holy Spirit has spoken it or has empowered it or has inspired it. Now, there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit. I want you to know that what Paul is saying here is there's many things in the body of Christ that people do, but there is only one spirit behind all of those gifts. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. So remember what he said in the last verse, spirit, right? Now he says, the word Lord with varieties of service and now he's going to say there are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers all of them I want to put these three verses four five and six on the screen together and I hope you can see them but I want you to notice at the end of each verse I've already emphasized but I want you to get it there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them in everyone. So what I want you to see is the Spirit, the Lord, and God. And what I want you to know is that Paul is saying all three pieces, persons of the Trinity are involved in the body of Christ when it's functioning correctly. They aren't, they aren't acting in opposition to each other. They aren't pulling in any way against each other. But they are all working actively to make the body of Christ be what it should be. Because that's who they are. I told you I'd do this quick. I'm working at it. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit 
for the common good. Now, I'm going to go on in a minute here, and I'm going to read to you how Paul expands on this. But in the 29th verse, Paul is going to say this. Is everybody an apostle? Is everybody a prophet? Is everybody a teacher? Does everyone work miracles? Does everyone possess the gift of healing? Does everybody speak with tongues? Does everybody interpret? And, and the reason I read that to you is because it lists all these gifts that were evident in the early church. But what this verse says is that everyone is given their gift, the manifestation of the Spirit. Remember those, remember four, five, and six, the Spirit, the Lord, and God. Everyone is given the gift by the Godhead, by the Trinity, for the common good. Are you with me? Everyone might be given something different by God, the Holy Spirit, God, our Lord, and God, who is the Father, for the common good of the total body. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. I am not today going to stop and tell you about these gifts. You're going to have to trust me that they were gifts in the early church. To another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. Sorry. To another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing, to another, working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, and other, gifts of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of those are the things that are going to come up in the next three verses. And then in the 12th verse, Paul says, for just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ who has that union with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and himself. In one spirit, we were all baptized into what? One body. No matter who we are, we were all made to drink of one spirit. The body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear would say, I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But God has arranged us, the members of the body, each of them, as he has chose. I am going to stop here for a minute and elaborate. All of the gifts that God has in the body of Christ, he has put together. How he sees it necessary so that his work can be done within the body of Christ. I've seen people say before, you know, oh, I don't know what I can do. What that really means is probably you never really thought about what you could do. That or else, and I'll get to that before the message is over. If all were just the same part of the body, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, and yet just one body. Now I want you to get in your head today your own body. And I want you to think about it, how your hands, your feet, even your elbows, even your ears, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, how everything works together 
so that you can be who you are and do what you have to do. Paul is saying that that is how the body of Christ should function. I told you we're talking about unity. And if you paid attention to this passage today, what you'll have noticed is that Paul's talking about unity too. We look at this and we jump to the conclusion. Oh, he's talking about the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. He's ta- and he is. But there's a piece that we miss, and I think we miss it a lot in the church. And that is that he's telling us it takes us all. It takes every part to get the church to do what it has to do. And God has not called us together to be a bunch of ears together. And God has not called us together to be a bunch of feet together. He has called us together because he sees us as the various parts of the body. And some of us are very active parts, very visible parts, if you would. And some of us are like your pastor in that picture with his kids, sitting around the corner where you don't really know that they're there, but they are. Some of us are right out front, and we look like everybody else. But if you take a good deep look, you suddenly begin to realize, wow, there's a difference between the two. And yet they function as one. They're able to get the job done because they work together as one. You see, God, and and here's going to be my bottom line already. I told you I'd get to it quick, but then I'm going to talk about it a while. God uniquely empowers us so he can commonly unite us. And let me stop and tell you what that means. Unique. That means different. It means different. He uniquely empowers us so that he can commonly unite us. Have you noticed something today? And I guess this would be the time to just say this to you before I ask the question. How many of you realize that for all the smack talk we've heard lately, the Steelers have now been in the playoffs longer than the Browns? Right? (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) What's that about? The steel. Oh wait, this is my time. (laughs) Your time's in the parking lot when you leave. (laughs) Have you noticed how in our current culture, and I don't think anything's changed since the beginning of time, that people are after something. What is it? It's it's to win. It's to be right, and ultimately it's power. What I just said to you, have you noticed that the Steelers have been in? What is it? That's smack talk. And that's because I like the Steelers, and I appreciate your jersey. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's, we always want to pick the right team, right? We want to we come out of this so that everybody sees that we knew something that they didn't. If you don't think that's right... Let me just remind you of this. We are currently two weeks into an election year. Everybody's pursuing power. I mean, I don't want to start naming names, but you get the point. Everybody wants to be on top. But we're all different. And God in the church takes those differences, that uniqueness, 
I like the Steelers, you like the Browns, you're a Democrat, I may be a Republican, all those kind of things. But God brings us together to uniquely empower not the individual, but the body. He takes the strengths of our differences, the strength of our uniqueness, and he uses it for the common good, to commonly unite us. Look for a minute and just think about this real good. Any book you've read, any TV show that you've watched, nearly any story that you've been told, and probably just about any group you might belong to, somebody's wiggling for power. That's what makes the story interesting, the TV show. You know, I have never watched Survivor, but I understand the concept. You want to be the last person on the island, right? You want to be the one that makes it to the end. All of life is full of people looking for power. Now you say, Joe, come on now. I want you to go back to Genesis 3 for a minute. What do you have in the garden? You've got Adam and Eve and God. And what does the serpent say to Adam and Eve? God knows if you eat from that, you'll be like him. Ooh. You mean to tell me if I eat from that tree, I can be God? You better believe Adam and Eve took that apple. No, I'm going to be in charge here. I, I hope you can grasp what I'm saying to you. But right here in the phrase that I've put on the screen, Unique is our difference, uh, differences. The power is how God uses those differences, not so that we can be divided, but rather so he can bring us together. And that is the exact opposite of how the world works. It's the exact opposite of how the, the whole shebang has worked since the day of Adam and Eve in the garden. And I'll tell you why. It's sin. Sin is what makes us that way. Sin is what makes us feel like we have to be on top of each other. That there has to be a winner and a loser. That there has to be somebody that shows everybody else how it's supposed to be done rather than how it can be done together. And our unique differences, God can use to empower us to do his will and he'll bring us together as one body the body of Christ to use those unique gifts that he's given us so that the body of Christ his body can be whole what did Paul say in the passage today he said that God empowers the church by gifting individual people we're not all feet, we're not all hands, we're not all noses, we're not all tongues, we're not all whatever. We are uniquely different, but that's the very strength of the body of Christ, the church. It's actually the same thing that divides people in the world. Our differences is what God uses to bring us together. Does that make sense to you? Did you hear that the way I said it? Everybody in the world's looking for the upper hand. That's not how it's supposed to be in the body of Christ. We're not all the same, but we serve the same God, the same Lord, the same Spirit. And he has gifted us and empowered us. He's us he uses our differences to pull us together. 
It's not a park. Anybody can look to win. Anybody can look to get the upper hand. Anybody can strive to be the sergeant instead of the soldier, the chief instead of the Indian. But that's not how it works in the church. The most common idea that Christ gave to us is that we submit to each other. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. That means you die out to yourself. It means you do the exact opposite of what we think we're supposed to do. When Paul said in that 4th, 5th, and 6th verses, there's different gifts, the same spirit, different ways of serving the same Lord, different kinds of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. What he's saying is, is there's one spirit, one Lord, one God. There's, there's one thing behind the body of Christ that we unite around, and that's Jesus. And we may have many different gifts that he can use for his glory, but it's all motivated by him. So why, why do churches, here's where I get to that part you thought I'd talk about today for just a minute, why do churches have battles? Why do churches become divided? Well, you may be saying from everything I've said so far, well, it's the pursuit of power, and you'd be halfway there. So I'm glad you stuck with me this far. But there's more than that. And I hope I can get this across to you, and I hope you'll listen real close. It's not only the pursuit of power by individuals in the group that tears churches apart. That, that's pretty obvious to, to many of you. For some of you, it's a little bit insidious. You don't see it as clearly. Sometimes even the person that's practicing the pursuit of power I believe may not even realize they're doing it. Years ago I read a book by Marshall Shelley he used to be the editor of uh, Christianity Today, he was the editor then of Leadership's Journal, but he wrote a, a book and the book was called Well-Intentioned Dragons it was for churches well-intentioned dragons and I've encountered those people before in churches you may have too they truly believe they're doing the right thing but the whole time they're pursuing for themselves yes the pursuit of power is a problem but here's the other half of it we want to be members of an organization instead of pieces of the body of Christ. We want to be a part of an institution instead of members of the resurrected Lord. And so what do we say? We say, I belong to Westbrook Park Church. I belong to Calvary Chapel. Or I belong to this, that, and the other thing. And we identify our physical being and who we are with an organization. And what Paul said was, in the body of Christ, there's one spirit, one Lord, one God. It's not about joining a church. It's about possessing the Holy Spirit. And too many of our churches today have gone on for 
not just years, but decades, and in some cases, centuries, with membership cards instead of God's Holy Spirit in your heart, with memory, memory scriptures in their heads instead of God's Word tucked away right here, with a commitment to attendance and membership and all the things that we ask people to do without a commitment to the God who died for them. You hear me? And that means that that institution, that body, that local church becomes nothing more than the Qantas Club, the JCs, whatever it is. And wonder why churches are losing folks today. I think it's because people say, hey, I can get this anywhere out there. And the difference of the real body of Christ is they can't get what we have anywhere but here. And it begins one member at a time. We're all different. I don't agree with you on everything. You don't agree with me on everything. But we share in one thing, and that is our commitment to the same Lord, whose Holy Spirit hasn't indwelled our head, but has made the jump 12 inches to our heart. And because of that, we are part of a body, uniquely one. God has uniquely empowered me and you so he can commonly bring us together as one. How, how does that happen? It happens because we did have a problem with sin, didn't we? But we recognized it. And when we recognize the problem of sin, if we choose to do something about it, it changes the game. Now, if you tried to do it on your own, and let me stop and say to you, most of us do that at some point in our life. We decide that we can be better, right? I'm going to do better. You know, two days ago was uh, National Quitters Day. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? Did you know that, Phil? Did your hand go up? Yeah, two days ago it was National Quitters Day. Now, why do they call it National Quitters Day? Because usually, right after the holidays on January 1st, we make all those big commitments. I'm going to, you know, this, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to run, I'm going to blah, 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 blah. But most people, by about the 12th of January, quit. So it's National Quitters Day. I started watching what I eat, you know. I didn't make a, what's it called, a, I, I didn't make a, a big to-do of it. I just decided, because I'm going to get a heart cast this week, it's probably a good time to quit eating brownies. And <laughs> and last night, my lovely wife says, would you like, and, and have you ever been to McAllister's Deli up there? She went to get my daughter lunch. She said, I'm going to bring you home, and I forget what the name of this thing is, the King Club or something, you know. That, that thing's that thick. I mean, it's that three pieces of bread, not two, all manner of evil upon it. And I almost joined the Quitters Club last night. I said, no, 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 you go ahead. She ate that thing in front of me. But anyway, <laughs> how do you do it? We know that sin's a problem. We know that our heart is to pursue for ourselves instead of for him. Well, when we come to that conclusion and we realize we cannot do it ourselves, because we can't. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough. We have to find someone that can. 
And the automatic turn is to a person called Jesus, who the sole reason he came to earth was to die for our sins, to give us the bridge, to give us forgiveness, to give us the way. It's called grace. It's the unmerited favor of God that says, Joel, I recognize that you can't do it, but I love you so much I'm going to do it for you because I'm God and you're not. What that requires is for me to say, yes, you are God and I'm not. And that is so hard for us because what are we doing? We're pursuing power. What did, it Adam eat? What did uh, Satan say to Adam and Eve in the garden? God knows when you eat that, you'll be like him. And we like that. There are whole religions based upon the fact that we're gods. Go look at the Mormon church sometime. That's what, that's what their theology is. You start off here and you just grow in fact, one of their phrases is, one of their big sayings from one of their bishops long ago is this, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. That's hogwash. No, we need God. We're not God. We need God. And so we come to the conclusion that we can't do it ourselves. That's when we turn to him and his blood flows freely from Calvary to cover our sins and he accepts us willingly and with love. And that's when he begins to uniquely empower us so he can commonly unite us. Take what the world passes off that divides us up into all our little camps and God turns it and uses it for his glory by bringing us together around our differences. How's that happen? Paul said it this way in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God something to hold on to, but he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, and being found in likeness as a man, being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How does that happen? When we accept Jesus, when we accept his love, his forgiveness, his grace, we begin to allow him to bathe our minds and to have the mind of Christ. Jesus didn't grasp for power. Jesus emptied himself of power. And ultimately, what happened? He died on a cross. I mean, you want to talk about <laughs> emptying yourself of everything? He died. But that very act is what God honored by resurrecting him. Something nobody had ever seen before. A man walks out of a grave. You want to talk about power? The very thing that we long for, Jesus emptied himself of. And the very thing that Jesus emptied himself of is the mind that we need to have. Power is found not in pursuing it, it's found in pursuing him. Amen. If you don't know Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about that. Feel free to come see me, and I will talk to you about that. Let's stand and sing together.